Be Christ's church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Church, are you thankful for that truth? I love that song. I love how it ends. That's why we're here. We've gathered today to remind ourselves of that confession. It's why if you've been a believer for a long time, you've come Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, you've come to be reminded that Christ is a sure hope in life and in death. Whatever, whatever waves of trial that you're facing, that Christ is enough, that even in the face of death, Christ is enough. And today, we're going to consider from God's Word in Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 43, we're going to see that the reign of Jesus is spreading from Jerusalem into western Judea and then even outside of what had historically been uh, part of the Israeli kingdom under the rule and the reign of, of King David because now King Jesus has come and he is continuing in new territory to demonstrate his power, his authority, the, the gravity of his name in new places. And we see that today, that, that Jesus reigns over disease and death, uh, not just in Jerusalem, but as the gospel goes forward. And we're getting a preview of coming attractions, coming kingdom attractions. When Christ returns, it's, it's going to be like this for all of us. There, there will no longer be debilitating disease and there will no longer be death. In his book, The Acts of the Risen Lord Jesus, a man by the name of Alan Thompson summarizes where we are in the book of Acts today. He tells us in, in chapters 1 and 2, we saw the reign of Jesus as he taught his apostles about the kingdom and sent his spirit to save sinners and empower them to then advance his kingdom by following him as king. Then in Acts chapter 3, verses excuse me, Acts chapter 3, all the way to chapter 8, verse 3, we saw the reign of King Jesus over both internal and external opposition. Do you remember the internal opposition, Ananias and Sapphira? They rise up and there's internal opposition to the church. And then the external opposition is represented by Saul, who is endeavoring to persecute the church. But, but Jesus still conquers. He still wins. People still come to saving faith in Christ. And then most recently, from chapter 8, verse 4, to the 31st verse of chapter 9, we saw the reign of King Jesus over outcasts, the Samaritans, and a eunuch, and over enemies, people like Saul, who is confronted and converted by Christ on the road to Damascus. At every step along the way in the book of Acts, the, the gospel is defying the odds. And when we get to verse 32... We begin a new section in the book of Acts that Thompson calls the reign of Christ the Lord over all nations. The gospel needs to make the leap from ethnic Jews to Gentile people 
and into Gentile territory. And for that to happen, the apostles are going to need to see and affirm and embrace God's work of bringing people from all nations, even people with no background in the Old Testament, into his kingdom family. So the text that we're about to read this morning serves as a a prelude to what's coming in chapter 10. It's a prelude to the incorporation of Gentiles into the family of God. And so, as a part of that prelude, what we need to see is that God's authority and His power to deliver from disease and death doesn't apply just to ethnic Jews. doesn't apply just to those who've been converted to Judaism. It applies to people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation. And that's, that's the, the background. That's what Luke is establishing in verses 32 through 43 of Acts 9. Would you hear with me the word of the Lord? Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Leda. There he found a man named Aeneas bedridden for eight years who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose And all the residents of Leda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Leda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men urging him, please... Come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Would you pray with me? God, help this text to sink into our hearts today. Lord, do with this text what you want to do in your church, among your people in our, our lives individually, in our, in our families, and in this extended family, this big family we call North Roanoke, God, do what you want to do. Open our eyes to hear what it is you want to say to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In this account of Peter's ministry in Leda and Joppa, we see that the church is advancing into greater Judea. Now that the situation in Jerusalem has improved because Saul has been saved and there's relative peace in Jerusalem, Peter now ventures out. The sort of leading apostle ventures further out into western saints in that we read about in verse. In Leda, saints were the gospel there. Leda is the 
the Old Testament city of Lud, which is about 25 miles west of Jerusalem as you head toward the coastal town of Jericho by Shemed, a Benjamin. In other words, it had been a part of the Davidic kingdom. Historically, it had been territory. Joppa or so toward the coast uh, was Gentile territory. As, as Peterson writes, despite its close association with Joppa, it seems to have been a distinctly Greek city. So when Peter reaches this point, he is in Gentile purpose in including this all last where we're Cornelius a couple of between the lines a little Peter oh and what is location changes nothing changes about just are in Jerusalem is king Of Jerusalem, guys, powers, and morning, or yeah, I'm not so sure about that. God, did you know science happened because of the Great Reformation? That when said, look. Everywhere on this planet, there's not Africa. There's one. That's what that means. Germany and in the United States in the same way. Be able to do repeatable experiments wherever you go on the planet and expect the same result. True, because one God, it all in motion. He governs it all. That's just. Recognize God made it all. You can't the science in the fact that there is a God. The reason they can do what they do is because somebody said there's one God who's over it all, which is why you should be scientific because God is real. Saying so, this God is not. Jerusalem. This king is not just king in Jerusalem. This king king over ethnic Jews and those who had converted from all types of cultural grounds and his presence to all who were ripped the all who will call upon the name of how God believers to recognize the full extent to which Gentiles and Jews are to become one new family in the blood of Christ. Following the same Jesus, empowered by the same Spirit, 
living and advancing the same kingdom in the same mission for the same glory of God. That's where Acts is heading. And to get us there, we get this bridge story where we see that Jesus continues his work through Peter in new territory. Kellum puts it this way, the progress and geographically is a movement of God. Luke wants us to see that the inclusion of Gentiles is Jesus, Israel's king. Israel's king is on the move. And in this text, he's beginning to prepare the hearts and the minds for that reality, showing us that Jesus works first at the edge of Jewish, former Jewish territory, and then Nations are theological backdrop for the story that we're considering today. King Jesus is on the move. Mighty weapon gospel include ultimately, but this cover into points. Jesus is over disease in new territory through the miraculous work that he's doing through Peter. And as we see the reign of Jesus extending, there's and we see it's overcome and then overcome by Jesus. Each one changed lives can be a platform for the gospel. Changed lives can be a platform for the gospel. This is uh, this point is, is summarized and derived from a guy named Scott Kellum, and I think he just nails it here in verse 32 through 35. Changed lives can be a platform for the gospel. Did you know what the difference that Jesus made in your life can be a platform for the gospel? Who you were and who you now are because of Jesus is a platform for the gospel. Now that the church has this relative peace in Jerusalem and Peter is going out into western Judea, verse 32, he's going here and there among them all, meaning among all the various cities in western Judea. So Luke essentially says Peter's going here and there and everywhere. And at some point, he comes down to the saints who had lived at Leda. And in coming to the saints, he is seeking to encourage and equip the believers here. Now, here's, here's something important. If you come from a tradition outside of the Baptist tradition, you might think saints are like super holy people that some church declares is a saint after they're dead. That is not what the Bible says a saint is. A saint is anyone who trusts in Jesus. Anybody who has turned from their sin and trust in Jesus is called to be a saint. One who's been set apart for God and His purposes. So if you're saved this morning, you are a saint. So when Peter goes down to the believers at Leda, he goes to all the saints at Leda. He's going to people who have been called out to be holy, set apart in their attitudes, their thoughts, their work ethic what they think about marriage and human sexuality, in their commitment to seeing the world through the lens of God's word, in your mission, and in so much more. So to be saved by Jesus is to be set apart for Jesus in every aspect of your life. Peter is there to help these saints look more saintly, 
to look more like Jesus and less like the world. But then in verse 33, something happens. Do you see it? He's there to edify the church, but then he finds a man named Aeneas. This, this word found in Greek is the word eurisco. Can you hear the word, the English word eureka in eurisco? It's to, this Greek word to find means to, to stumble upon something unexpectedly, to discover something usually that's surprising and good. Whoa, here's a man who's been bedridden for, for eight years, and, and it's, it's a good thing. I'm discovering an opportunity to demonstrate the authority and the power of Jesus. Peter stumbles upon this. I, I want to ask you a question this morning. When you stumble upon the needs of others, do you see it as an opportunity? Whoa, look what God has presented me with in this moment. Or do you see it as a distraction or a diversion or an inconvenience? May God give us, like Peter, as we stumble upon the needs of others, needs that perhaps we can meet or at least we can speak the gospel into, may we see it as, wow, eureka, here's an opportunity. And in that moment, Peter's mission grows from not just edifying the church, but to demonstrating God's authority in new territory. In finding Aeneas, Peter's found an opportunity to demonstrate the power and authority of Christ over disease in a new place. Luke wants us to feel what Aeneas must have felt. He describes Aeneas for us as paralyzed, bedridden for eight years. He had not always been paralyzed. He had not always been confined to a bed. He had not always had to have someone else bathe him and transport him and assist him in going to the bathroom. For eight years, he dreamt of walking. For eight years, he dreamt of taking his own bath. Perhaps for eight years, he dreamt of embracing his family once more. Bedridden. Paralyzed. For eight years. And somewhere along that journey of eight years, I suspect he probably lost hope for healing. And then in verse 34, boom, Peter addresses him directly. And he says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Meaning he heals you right now. Through Peter, Jesus gives us a, a preview of coming kingdom attractions. When Christ returns, all who belong to him by faith will no longer face debilitating disease. In the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no more physical or emotional paralysis. There will be no more depression or discouragement. There will no, be no more uh, thoughts competing for your affections with Christ. It will be you and Jesus and the people of God, period. And Peter endeavors to demonstrate the healing power of God in the situation. Jesus had told his apostles that they would do greater works than even he did. Now this doesn't mean that the works that the apostles do are greater in power, but they're greater in number and in location. 
And the reign of Jesus is, is spreading to more hearts and more places. And he proves it right here by healing Aeneas. When, when Peter tells Aeneas to rise and make his bed, he's calling him to faith. Jesus heals you, get up. And some of you this morning walked in, not physically paralyzed, but perhaps emotionally or spiritually paralyzed. And on the authority of the gospel, I, I say to you that if you've turned from your sin and if you've trusted in Christ, if he's made you new, Jesus Christ heals you. You might still have a limp, you might still have a backache. And some of that stuff's not going to be resolved until Christ returns. But if you are in Christ, Christ has healed you. And he says to you, get up. And some of you this morning, in your marriage, it's time to get up and love your husband. Or to love your wife. It's time to get up and be the person in your workplace that brings the joy and the favor of God into your workplace. Through the smile on your face, through the words that you speak. Some of you in your parenting, if you know Christ, if Christ has healed you in the hearing of the gospel, there's a situation or a circumstance in your life, and, and, and you know what it is, you're able to define it, I don't know what it is, but maybe God would have you write it down, even right now, and say, Jesus is saying to me, get up. It's time to appropriate the truth of the gospel in my life and actually live it out and trust that the Spirit of God will meet me in that and compel me to live for the glory of Christ rather than to stay in this spiritual doldrums and funk and depression and to actually get up and start walking. Jesus Christ heals you right now and then what does he say? You get up. Aeneas, you're going to have to get up. And in verse 34, what happens? Immediately he arose. Can you imagine his joy? In an instant, his life was changed through the healing power of Jesus who had healed him and called him to rise. This word rise and rose in verse 34, it's the same word used to describe the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of others. While we are not apostles walking around with the ability to physically heal people, we can and should pray for healing, physical healing, according to God's will and in Jesus' name. And we do have this authority. We do know that any who will call upon the name of the Lord, because the gospel says so, any who will repent of their sin and put their faith in Jesus, we know that God will save them, and one day, no matter what they face physically in this life, it will be completely and fully healed. One day there will be no disease. Every tear will be wiped away. And we know that all who trust in Christ will join in that day because their sins will be forgiven. They'll be raised to life everlasting with Christ no matter what they face in this life. They can know joy is on the way like Aeneas. Luke does not specifically say so, but if the healing here follows the pattern of Peter in other places like Acts 3, Peter goes on to use this healing as an opportunity to preach the gospel. And, 
And it seems that that's what happens because of what we read in verse 35. We read that all the residents of Leda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. Well, how did they turn to the Lord? Because Peter said, hey, I've got better news than that this guy got up and walked after eight years of paralysis. You were born spiritually dead. You were born a rebel to King Jesus. But if you will repent of your sin and trust in him, he'll make you new. And this spiritual paralysis that you have, this inability to walk for the glory of God. God will heal you. He will deliver you. He will change you. And many, do you see it? They turned to the Lord. There is no salvation unless there is a turning. To be saved, you must turn from sin and to God. You must turn away from sin and self-worship and selfishness, and you must turn to Christ. The crowds see what Jesus did for this paralyzed man, and then they trust that Jesus can do the greater miracle, that he can deliver them from hell into heaven, that he can take them, though they are a sinful rebel against God, he can wash them white as snow and give them power through the Holy Spirit to live and walk for Jesus, that he can forgive their sin, give them access to God, and empower them to walk and live for Jesus. Church, we cannot meet every physical need that we are presented with. But we can seize every opportunity that God gives us in our everyday lives to meet needs. Trusting that even one life powerfully changed by God can then become a platform for many others to take note of the saving faith, need for saving faith in Christ, which is the greatest miracle of all. Church, we, we don't just do that once, right? We can do that over and over and over again. Every time we're presented with a need, we can share the gospel and we can step into their reality and tell them our own story that once I was lost, but by God's grace, now I am saved. Those who have been changed by God, those who have been touched by Christ can become a platform for others to hear the gospel. The second thing I want you to see is in verses 36 through 43, that the death of a saint can become a platform for the gospel. The death of a saint can become a platform for the gospel. In verse 36, we are introduced to a woman in Joppa, just 12 miles further west from Leda. Her name is Tabitha in Aramaic, and Luke translates it for his Greek readers into Greek. Her name is Dorcas. Well, we're English speakers, so let's translate it from Greek into English. Tabitha is Dorcas, which didn't help us very much. Uh, Dorcas means gazelle or an animal in the deer family. So this is a, this is a spry lady, right? She's, she's fleet-footed. She's got a lot of energy. And we see that later in how she's described, full of good works and good deeds and charity. Verse, at the end of verse 36, we learn that she's literally full of good works and the kind acts that she was doing. She was, she was always doing good, always helping the poor. The emphasis on generosity in the book of Luke and Acts combined is hard to miss, is it not? Over and over again, Luke keeps coming back to this point that joy-filled and selfless generosity is a hallmark of genuine faith in Jesus. I want to say that one more time. Because I'm, I'm afraid we, we sugarcoat this in, in the American church. 
joy-filled and selfless generosity is a hallmark of saving faith. If you've been saved by the God who gave you everything, it will turn you into a cheerful giver. And Luke keeps telling us that in Acts. In Acts 2.44, in Acts 4.32 and 37, and here again, he's like, she was full of good works. She was full of generosity. Now, now this is not a self-serving generosity, right? This is not giving to the hokey club to get a better seat in Lane Stadium. I know the IRS gives you an 80% break on your taxes, but that's not what this is talking about. This is talking not about serving to have a solid reputation in the community. It is talking about generosity that flows from a vital, real union with Jesus who upends your life and gives you new priorities and an eternal perspective and really causes you to believe that what you store up in heaven is what will really not fade away. Do you believe that? About your time and your treasure and your talent? That 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 which is invested in the kingdom is that which will endure and everything else will be like nothing in the final calculus. In verse 37 This woman who's full of good deeds and good works. This woman who is clearly, vitally connected with Christ and on mission with Him. In verse 37, we learn she becomes ill and dies. Death would not just be the end of her earthly life, but it would also be the end of the good deeds that she did, which so richly blessed others. But there's there's some hope in verse 37. Her death occurred in those days. Do you see that? What days is that talking about? The days that the Apostle Peter was nearby, spreading the rule and the reign of Christ to to more territory. In other words, if you had to get sick and die, it was a really good time to get sick and die. Get sick and die. Uh, The end time blessings of God's kingdom are being previewed by Peter, and he's nearby. He's just about 12 miles away, and it's, it's almost like the disciples in Joppa are expecting the miracle, right? They don't bury her. They wash her, and they don't put her in a tomb. They put her in the upper room. I mean, who does that? Well, we're just going to wash her respectfully and prepare her for a resurrection. And verse 38 confirms that's what they're thinking. What, what happens next? The disciples send two men over to Peter and Leda, and they, they call out to him with urgency, and they say, come immediately. And in verse 39, Peter comes. He gets up and he goes, just like Philip going to the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8.27, just like Saul commanded to keep going to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, verse 6, just like Ananias commanded to go to Saul in Acts 9.11, Peter gets up and he goes. I don't want you to miss this, church. Jesus is the one who heals. Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus is the one who raises the dead. Jesus does the work, and yet he still calls us to get up and go so that the dead might rise. Over and over again, Philip, get up and go. Saul, get up and go. Ananias, get up and go. And now, Peter, get up and go. If the dead, the spiritually dead in the Roanoke Valley are going to be raised to life, there's going to have to be people, there's going to have to be churches like North Roanoke Baptist Church who are willing to get up and to go. Will you get up and go? Will you go into your workplace? Will you go into your family? 
Will you bring people who need to hear the gospel? Will you be that living example to them? Will you get up and go? When Peter arrives, they take him to the upper room. And in verse 39, the widows that Dorcas had served are are gathered and they are grieving. Witherington says this, Luke highlights the importance of Dorcas and her ministry to the needy. She was probably a woman of means, with leisure and freedom to do good deeds for others. There's a real loss here. Not just of a life, but a lessening of ministry that had been so graciously performed by Dorcas. Peterson says says this, All the widows stand beside Peter, encouraging him to share in their grief and crying and showing him the robes and the other clothing that she had made. But, verse 40, do you see that word, verse 40? It's It's a word of contrast. They're asking Peter to come into their grief, but Peter doesn't join the grieving. Instead, he, he sends the, the widows and the other disciples outside. Much like Jesus when he healed that little girl, Jairus' daughter named Talitha. He sends them outside and he kneels in complete dependence upon the risen Lord Jesus. He's, he's stepping into the tradition of Elijah and Elisha whom God worked through to raise the dead. He's stepping into the life of Jesus who raised Talitha from the dead. And and like Elisha, Peter falls to his knees in desperate prayer, looking to the one with resurrection power, to the only one who can help. Jesus, when he heals Talitha, doesn't have to kneel in prayer because he is God, the resurrection and the life. But Peter prays. And there's a parallel going on between the life of Jesus and the life of Peter, right? When, when Jesus raises Jairus' daughter, he says, Talitha kumi. And here, Peter says, just one letter different, Tabitha kumi or Tabitha arise. Just as Jesus had commanded Talitha to rise, now Peter commands Tabitha to arise. Just as Peter had commanded Aeneas to rise from paralysis, he now commands Dorcas to arise from death. This same Jesus who transformed Peter is now at work through Peter to bring his power and his authority over death even outside of Jewish territory to Joppa. And in that moment, what happens? Tabitha opens her eyes. Dorcas opens her eyes. She sees Peter and she sits up. And then in verse 41, Peter helps her up. He grabs her by the hand. He calls for the saints and the widows and he presents her to the church and to the widows. Do you see it in verse 41? Alive. Not dead, but alive. Not resuscitated. Not on life support. Not that she coded and she's going to code again in five minutes, but in a present persistent state of living. The woman who had died and all of her charity with her, which was gone in a moment through the healing power of Jesus, was restored to life. This is a resurrection. Dorcas is alive. And the lifeline that Jesus provides through her generosity and among the believers in Joppa has been restored. Jesus, by giving life to Dorcas, is giving life to that community and that church as well. Let me ask you a question. If you were to die today, Would your community suffer? 
you were to die today, would your church feel the gut punch? Verse 42, the resurrection of Dorcas becomes well known. And it becomes an opportunity for many to hear the gospel. And do you see it? Many believe in the Lord. They don't just believe that He can raise the physically dead to life for a little while. They believe that through His death and resurrection that one day all who trust in Him will be saved forevermore. The death-conquering power of Jesus is a global reality that is available to anyone who will turn from sin and trust in Him. And while Jesus is not typically working through us today to physically raise the dead, He is very much at work through His church through the preaching and the teaching of the gospel and the living of the gospel to bring the spiritually dead to new life in Him. And one of the ways, one of the ways that we can help others meet Jesus today is by how we live today. Did you know it's good to think about death? It's good for us to ask questions like this. What are they going to say at my funeral? It's good for us, the psalmist says, to number our days so that we might gain a heart of wisdom. If you died today, would the church have reason to mourn your death? Would ministry be impacted? Would the pastor who preaches your funeral have an opportunity to stand before all who were gathered and tell others of the transformation that Jesus made in your life that was evidenced because you were full of good works and good deeds and service and spending your life for the glory of God? Would they be able to say, would the pastor be able to say, though this person is dead in the casket, though their body is lifeless, I know that they will live again because they died to themselves a long time ago and Jesus raised them up to a whole new way of living. Would the pastor be able to say, not that you were full of yourself, but that like Dorcas you were full of generosity and kindness and the fruit of the Spirit? Would he be able to say that you like Dorcas had heard the call of Jesus to turn away from sin and selfishness and self-worship and that he had called you to rise up to a whole new way of living and that one day when Christ returns who entered in to that grave after he bore your sin on the cross. On the third day, he rose from the dead, and when he returns, you will have a share in his resurrection, and you will be there beholding him and worshiping him forevermore. Can you say that? Does your life demonstrate that Jesus has powerfully conquered the death you deserved by how you presently live By your love for Christ, your regard for the word, your love for others, your generosity among the saints. Church, I am begging us that our lives, for the balance of however long he gives us, that our lives would be a living testimony to the saving power of our resurrected king. May we be the changed lives that lead others to turn to the Lord. May we be the ones who are so dead to ourselves and alive to Christ that others believe upon the Lord. And as we live out these changed lives, I trust by God's grace that people are going to want to know the one who changed us. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, 
thank you that King Jesus is on the move and he is ruling and reigning in righteousness and that he is making through his bloody sacrifice one people a people that includes every tribe, tongue, language, and nation, rich, poor, young, old, and in between. God, we thank you that you have called us by your name, that you have allowed us to be changed on the inside. God, that you've shown us the glory of Christ, convicted us of our sin, and raised us up to a whole new way of living. And God, in this room, there's, there's some people who aren't sure that that's true of them. Indeed, there's some people that know that's not true of them. That if they were to die today, that they would be dead in their own sins and their own trespasses. God, I pray today they would feel the liberty to trust in Christ. And God, there's still others who, who they're, they're not on a team yet. God, they, they're not in the family. They, they know you, but, but they haven't gone all in and gotten connected as a member, as a part of a 3D group. Really being vitally connected like Dorcas, spending their lives for the, the good of a local community of believers. God, if, if you're calling someone into church membership and to, or even to greater levels of service, God, I pray today, whether they sit in their seat or come forward or they're listening online, God, I pray you'd give them the liberty to take that next step of obedience as they follow you as king. God, have your will and your way among us this morning. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.